You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Jeremy, welcome to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. It's great to have you here. Brian, really looking forward to it. Thanks for the the chance. Absolutely. I'd like to start off just by really zeroing in on an event that occurred in your life in 2002. You were in Mexico with your wife and you got into a very devastating car accident. Tell us what happened. As a American uh, Christian who was very missional at heart, I had a level of faith in God that I'd say was probably on the more the more connected end, meaning felt connected to the Lord. I felt like we were doing good things. And I go to, to um, Cancun before we started our business, have a long vacation with my wife. As we were there, a hurricane starts tracking from over Cuba. And you know those spaghetti lines and they like 10 different paths that yeah. a hurricane can hit. And one of them was Cancun, which is where we were. I'm like, well, 10% chance. We're, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So then it got to 20% chance. And, th- you know, it got, it got more and more and more. And all of a sudden we wake up one day and they start boarding up our hotel room. And they said, hey, we can, you can either move in to the grand banquet hall and sleep there with everyone in, on cots, or we can move you into a hotel downtown. Like, yeah, we'll take the hotel room. So we took the hotel room. We moved down there and it was a really bad hotel and so we decided let's let's not wait this out in this bad hotel there's a movie theater let's go see a movie <laughs> so you know like like you do right yeah and so so there's four of us my wife and i and our dear friends uh ryan and carmel and we decided to go see a movie and it was signs by mel gibson even stranger you know the al- no crop circles aliens all that stuff fate and in the movie, it really, really impacted me because he lost his wife to a car accident. And it really, really impacted me. Well, this is about 10 at night. We get out of the movie. We're, we need to get to the hotel. It's about an hour before the eye of the hurricane is upon us. And I look and there's a taxi driver, which is a very entrepreneurial taxi driver trying to make money in a hurricane. No kidding. And he, he took us, uh, it was, I mean, it was literally, three blocks, but we get in and I'm just pointing to it. And so I'm in the front seat, my wife's right behind us. And I start having a conversation with God. And the conversation was basically this, God, if anything happens to my wife, Kelly, I don't want to be Mel Gibson because in the movie, he gives up his faith in God. Mm. And I was like, I don't want that. If anything happens to my kids, then I'll trust you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything happens to me, I'll trust you. Like literally having this really, really deep contemplative prayer. And it was probably two seconds later that my wife yells out, watch out. And I turn and look and a drunk driver was joyriding in a hurricane, runs the red light right in front of our hotel where we were about to pull in. He was probably going 35, 40 miles an hour. And we were, you know, barely moving mm-hmm. and runs right into my, like right into my hip, pushes me into the driver's seat. When it pushed me in the driver's seat, uh, I was not wearing a seatbelt just to give you context. My sternum pops up, like literally expands a good foot maybe. Mm. 
nine ribs were broken. A number of them, a clean snap, clean break. Wow. I was hit so hard in the hip that it severed my intestines. Mm. It bruised all my organs. This is just to give everyone listening context. About 10, 15 at night in a hurricane in Mexico, right? And it was a category three hurricane. And again, it was, it was right upon us. So I'm sitting in this, in this taxi and our friends were trying to go find help. My, my wife was hurt and she's trying to help me. And I'm, I'm in the taxi probably 45 minutes before the ambulance came. Mm -hmm. That's when about 20 minutes in. So the first thing that happened, if anyone who's been in a car accident like that knows you're in shock and pain and the pain, it was like uh, I was being stabbed over and over and over again in my back. Mm. It hurt, hurt so bad. Like ice picks. It was just horrible. Mm -hmm. And I'm screaming and I'm in shock. So I'm screaming outwardly, but inwardly I start having this really rational conversation with God. And I was like, okay, well, we just talked about this. I trust you. Okay. I try. Mm. I can't believe we just talked about this. Yeah. Then I'm like looking around doing a damage assessment and I'm going, okay, there's how is there no blood? There's glass everywhere. How am I not bleeding? Okay. I can see my sternum. I can't feel my legs. I'm paralyzed. And I realized I was paralyzed. Now, I'm not paralyzed now, and there's a number of things that happened. Couldn't feel my feet, my legs. I saw my sternum. I had all this stuff that happened. About 20 minutes into it, I'm breathing really, really hard, but I can't get any breath because my lungs expanded so far out. Mm -hmm. And I look up at my wife. I just start shaking my head. And then internally, it got really serious because I'm like, I'm going to die in Mexico. Mm. In Mexico. Weird. I mean, it was just so surreal. And I just start having these deep conversations. And it, and it was like, these were the things I thought of as I realized I was about to die. Number one was, God, was I your man? That was the number one thing. I, the first thing I thought of, was I your man? Second was, was I a good husband? And the third was, was I a good dad? Hmm. And by the way, at that point in time, I'd probably had started 12 companies at that point in my life. And I had done all of these things. I had these aspirations. I had big dreams. None of that was even close to coming to my mind. I was thinking about those three things. I saw my life flash before my eyes. I actually got to experience uh, pictures of 10 years old when I first had an encounter with God, 13 and 15 and 18 and 20 and all these different moments with God. It was like, it was like a keynote presentation, a PowerPoint where he's showing you pictures. Mm-hmm. And then I saw pictures of my wife and then pictures of my three kids, Addison, Will, and Kate. And all of that was happening. I was almost like when it was at the very end, I realized I was done. That was it. And I was at extreme peace. I'm in an unbelievable peace, even though I'm in this pain. I look at my, my wife and she's over me. And I shook my head like, no, like I'm, like I'm not going to make it. And she just said this, and this is crazy because she had no idea what I was talking about. And we've both, we've had this conversation a hundred times. I said, she looked at me and she goes, I know, I know, like, I know you're, you're, you're not going to make it. She just said, I want you to know you are God's man. You are a great husband and you're a great dad. Oh, wow. 
And in my mind, I'm like, did you just say that? Are you kidding me? Because I just had that conversation. So here I am, and I have God telling me that, and I have her telling me that. And I breathed my last breath and floated away. And I was gone. You know, they, we don't know. We didn't have a stopwatch. The thought was four minutes or so. And during that time, I'm literally floating above the car and could look down on the car. And I'm in complete peace. I didn't see 90 minutes in heaven or, you know, I didn't have any of that. But I, I was at peace and I could see myself and there was no pain whatsoever. Mm. And during this time, uh, Carmel, Litz, she came running um, in and Carmel put her hand on my arm. And she just said, no, no, in the name of Jesus, give him breath. And I remember hearing that. And all of a sudden, when she put her hand on my arm, it's like an air hose hooked up to me. Mm. I started just filling full of air from like my diaphragm. It was the weirdest location. It was like coming up through my stomach, up to my lungs. It was the weirdest sensation. And I came right back into the car and I came right back into the pain. And all of a sudden, I'm back. Mm. And then the ambulance shows up, you know, a little bit later. And then... They pull me out, and then I go on this crazy journal, uh, journey of more miracles that took place in a Mexican hospital and had basically what rocked my entire world. Are you tracking with me so far? Totally. So that's what happened. And then I get to the hospital. And by the way, everyone listening to this, I grew up in the traditional Baptist church, first Baptist church type of environment, and it was... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. And that's how I, so I didn't have a real context for the Holy Spirit, truly. Mm-hmm. But the power of God, like my faith has changed because I experienced these things and I wasn't in control of any of it. It happened to me. Yeah. So we're in the hospital and they get, we get me into this horrible, think of the worst mass unit you could think of the worst hospital you could think of in a hurricane in mexico on a generator no running water no power and we're in this er they had blood on the sheets they had to move real quick and they had bedpans stacked up it smelled horrible and we get in there and my blood pressure starts dropping Mm -hmm. and it starts dropping down to 60 over 20 and they go he's bleeding to death he's about to die and they had only one person who could speak english and they had all these Mexican attendants just watching us, nurses and different people. They're like, I'm about to die. So Carmel, she goes, check it again. And they'd already checked it three or four times, one blood pressure. And they go, no. And she said, I'm going to pray. And she, she starts praying. And she goes, Lord, give him 120 over 80. And when you do, basically show these people your power. Yeah. I then go, listen to her, check it again. And she checks it again. And are they checked it again? And it was 120 over 80. Wow. Everyone, you could hear an audible because they've been translating all this. Everyone was like, like a gasp. It was just, it was amazing um, what happened and how that took place. So what happened then is I had basically taken, they took sonograms and x-rays and all these things. And they showed that my intestines were severed and I was filling up with toxic waste. And so I had to go do a surgery, you know, hours after that. We get up to the surgery and they told my friend Ryan, 50% chance he's not going to make it. 90% chance he's going to have to be on a, they'll have a bag because we have to take his intestines. Yeah. Prepare his wife, right? Seven to nine hours, they thought, of surgery. 
I remember laying down on this, um, this surgery table and I look up and there's this vent over the surgery unit with this dust thing blowing out of the, of the vent over the surgery table. Like a dust bunny? Dust bunny. Thank you. And that's Ryan, healthy. And I'm, and so I remember my last prayer was Lord save me from that. And it was like, <laughs> then the mask goes on. Um, they came out an hour and a half later, hour and a half. They go, it's a miracle. I saw you know, x-rays that it was severed. Then they came out and they go, they're together, but we cleaned up everything that was, it was in there, but mm-hmm. now they're together. So you went in with a x-ray showing that your bowels had been severed by your yes. ribs and you've got your gut filling up with feces Yes, and they go in and open you up. Your bowels are together that previously were se- separated and cut, but all that's left behind now is the toxic material that they need to clean out of your gut. And they did that. Yeah. And they came out and they said, they started calling me a miracle man. And they said, it's together. It's a miracle. There's no way he should be alive right now. Yeah. Um, so this, during this time, now this is where it gets crazy. That's what I'm saying. Like, Oh, and it's not crazy yet. <laughs> it gets crazy. My parents are flying over to help us. They don't know if, if I'm dead or alive. They, all they heard was there's a chance he might not make it out of surgery. Mm-hmm. So they're on an airplane. When they land, they're crying. And my mom is, you know, they're really emotional and they don't know where they're going. They don't have any details. All we, all they had was an address. This guy was two rows ahead of him. His name is Miguel. He goes, uh, I've been sent here to help you. And they're like, who are you? He goes, I have a car waiting. And so he takes them and has a car. They don't know if we'd sent them somehow. He basically then starts telling them, this is all done for the glory of God. Just to clarify again, your folks are in the plane and they meet Miguel or was it when they got off the plane? Uh, when they got off the plane. He was two rows ahead of them, meaning? On the airplane. Coming from America. Oh, okay. So he was on the same flight coming over from America. When they get off the plane, Miguel approaches them and tells them, I'm here to help you. He said, I've been sent here to help you, and I have a car. I'll take you. And they showed him the address, and he goes in and gets a hotel for them across the from the um, hospital. He, The whole time he's driving, he says, this is all done for the glory of God. Your son will be fully restored. Everyone that hears this, uh, will know the power of God and the glory will all be to God. Then he speaks over them, tells them things. And that was not the norm for them. Basically, he was prophesying or giving them words of knowledge. Is that what was going on? Uh, yes, but it was bigger than that. Okay. Because he comes to the hospital. They were very, very excited <laughs> to see me alive, but they mm-hmm. were really excited for me to meet Miguel all of a sudden. <laughs> All of a sudden, Miguel walks in the room. I'm I'm recuperating. I remember, you know, I'm a little bit drugged out. And so we have witnesses here of what happened. It was Kelly and then my parents. Mm-hmm. And and I remember this specifically, that he comes walking over to Kelly and whispers in her ears. And she can't remember much of what he said. And as soon as he spoke, she just fell, fell straight to the ground. Ooh, I get emotional thinking about it because I can picture it. And he was speaking over everything over her mm. to take her worry and fear away. And he spoke with unbelievable authority and said very similar things. This is done for the glory of God. You do not need to worry. He will be fully restored. Well, this sounds like a visitation from an angel, doesn't it? Does. It does. 
it does. And so, and by the way, we had um, the other crazy part. They wouldn't do the surgery until we paid for almost building their entire wing of the hospital. But yeah. we had to pay it, and we had the money to the dime, to the to the penny. It mm. was the exact amount we had in our savings to start our business. So that was happening. And then he comes, he spoke to Kelly, and then he comes over to me, and he just whispered in my ear, so like the same things. Um, I've, I've come to tell you that you'll be fully restored, that God is giving you the gift of faith, that you don't, ugh, man, it's been a long time, and it's still hard, um, that you don't need to worry, uh, you will be fully restored, and everyone that hears this will know the power of God. And that, that know that he he lives, and then he said more things I can't remember. I wish I could remember all, of them. but I can't remember all of those things because of where I was in the situation. So he gives us his card. He said his name is Miguel. He's the um, he was worked at the Marriott. He gave a specific card with three phone numbers. If we needed anything, to let him know. So the next day, we were all amazed. We were glad that we were alive. It was. It was crazy. There was still no running water. It was not a good situation to be in because there could be infection and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, the next day we needed some translation help. My dad tries to call him. My wife tries to call. None of the numbers work. He called the, the Marriott. There was no one by that name or description that worked as the supervisor over the pool maintenance. <laughs> the joke was he was a lying angel. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, but none of the numbers were. And you've got the card to prove it, right? We had the card uh, to the point where they even went to it, the location with the card. No one had ever heard the name. So we're like, are you kidding me? As we were there, another hurricane was on its way. Two hurricanes hit Cancun in 10 days. So oh, wow. I, I had to get out. We, we asked for some help from some legislation, some legislators here in the U.S. And we got our flight to get American Airlines, lowered their flight to 20,000 feet to be able to, to be there so I could get out. And we basically get out. We get to back to Edmond, Oklahoma, at the time where we were living before we moved to other places. And in our house, and my had our little kids, and uh, my daughter brings Mel, and it was Bill, 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 Bill. One of them was a check. And you can tell the check, right? And you look up in there, and you're like, huh. Mm -hmm. I open it up. And I look at the check, and it had a note, and it had been postmarked before we left, but I didn't get it because we had turned the mail off. I look at the check, and it was Steve, one of our first – it was our very first client. He said, hey, I can't wait to get started. I hope it's okay. For tax reasons, I need to pay you six months in advance. Look at the dollar amount. It was the same dollar amount. No way. That we had get, had paid. Uh, no one, no one knew. By the way, we were we had nothing left, and we were starting a business with nothing because all of our savings had gotten taken by the hospital. The same dollar amount that you paid the hospital to a penny out of your savings came in a check prior to your departure, but you didn't get it till you got home. That's right. Incredible. My wife, <laughs> you know, my my wife and I started weeping, and sure, and it basically it changed our faith, and it changed our faith. What do you mean by that? So there's a faith. Everyone, everyone thinks faith. They go, what's your faith? How's your faith? What's your, you know, what's your religion? What's your, are you a Christian? Are you a Jew? Are you a Muslim? Are you, there's a faith. Well, our faith was a traditional American faith. 
well, God is good all the time. God is good. You know, it's, it's those things, but yet I didn't have the context of the Holy Spirit and the game plan of Jesus to infill us, to inhabit us. Didn't understand the power of God. I was afraid of it and taught to be afraid of it by most teachers or most preachers or, or suspect of it is a better way to say it. Uh-huh. So I didn't have that level of faith. And then I didn't, the other level of faith is belief. How, how strong is your belief? What is your faith and how strong is your faith? Right. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden I had a new perspective of the power of God that he can do anything. I experienced healing. I experienced casting out. I experienced raising up. It was like I was healed. Um, I experienced mm. uh, uh, raising of the dead to some degree, not fully. I wasn't buried, in, but I experienced the power of God that He can do anything He wants. So, therefore, my that my faith then changed, and then my belief, my faith, rose to a whole nother level. To go, who says you can't? Like, who says God says? That he can't do anything. So what do we then believe? And so therefore, when I look at coronavirus and different things that are coming in, I'm like, well, let's take authority, Lord. You have power over it. It's not over God. God's over it. So Lord, come against it in Jesus' name. Do your thing. Bring your power. So there's a level of faith and there's a level of faith, both of them, that have changed in me, um, Mm -hmm. all because of accident in Mexico in 2002. Incredible. I want to dive into this belief that's changed for you dramatically. What happened after you got back on your feet, after you arrived home with this newfound belief in the power of God? What are some things that that started to happen in your life? Yeah, great question. First off, it took me a couple of years to adjust you think it would just be automatic, but I had habits and years of thinking. And so I was almost like having to go through every little part of my life and rethink things mm-hmm. and go, huh. So, you know, even Jesus style. So I just, so first thing I did is I just started reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all over again. And I realized that I had built most everything off the context of the Pauline letters without the context of Jesus. So I started then going, if I'm a follower, what does a follower of Jesus do? Well, a follower of Jesus does exactly what Jesus said. Well, what did he do? And I summarized it to this. He talked about the kingdom of God. He healed the sick. He cast out demons and he raised the dead. So I started to build my whole worldview around healing, casting out, raising up, and talking about the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Not religion, not um, a a form of Christianity, but a kingdom that's way bigger. Uh, An example of that would be every single person is a possible, they're they're children of God, but there is no religion that's man-made. Muslim is man-made and Judaism and, and Christianity. I mean, there, these are, there's man-made things around them uh, in every religion. Hindu, there are certain things. So I, I started realizing for me, God is for everyone. And therefore, because of Jesus, there's access to him. And, and so I started seeing Jesus different. And I started seeing God differently. And I started realizing the, 
um, the power of God and then the plan of God. It's like so obvious in Matthew 10, Luke 9 and 10, Mark 6. Huh. This was the game plan. It wasn't, it wasn't Christmas, Easter, heaven. That's not the narrative. No, no, no. It's, it's Christmas. Then there's the cross that's unbelievably important, but then there's the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the plan between here and then. So I've, I've just begun to play with that. And, and then I've realized that there's literal healing and there's figurative healing. And what does that look like? Everyone needs certain things taken out of their life and everything needs, everyone needs certain things raised up in their life. And so it's changed my entire um, worldview and mindset, if you will. If you look at it from an 80-20 perspective, what are the biggest things that changed for you that have kind of driven your life since then? I think the first one was, a, it was the mindset. It was, it was my mindset of what is the plan of God and who is he really? And, and I started to understand the, the principle that I'm a son of the Most High God. So I always ask the question to people, are you, a, you can only answer one, are you a sinner? Are you a saint or are you a son or daughter? Most people, it depends on where you are and culturally, they'll say, oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I go, well, I'm not saying I'm not, but how does God view me? He doesn't view me as a sinner. He does, he's not viewing me as a saint. He's viewing me as a son. Yeah. And I started to change my relationship with, with God became a daddy. Mm-hmm. And that was my mindset. Then the methodology started to change, which is like, well, what do, what do I do and how do I play that out? And I just started becoming free of certain things, of certain man-made things to go, well, I follow Jesus. So mm-hmm. if I'm following Jesus, like Acts 8 or Acts 4, any of the disciples, well, I'm doing that. And so that means I'm praying for the sick. I'm, I'm helping People get rid of certain things. I'm calling people up, not out. I'm talking about the kingdom of God, and I'm doing that in a in business and in you know I'm doing it in different ways. And those are the those are probably the highlights with respect to the whole relationship between you and God changing, where He is now Daddy, and you're His son. Whereas previously. What was your thought process? You're a sinner saved by grace. What did that? What yeah. was it that you were thinking? God is good, and there's a there is still that things I need to accomplish, things I need to do. I probably was also like, please God, please come, please come, and almost like begging Him to come. And He's like, Hey, I'm already here. Uh, <laughs> meaning, it was almost like the Old Testament visitation mindset of that. I need to woo Him here, please. And that visitation is like, no, 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 I'm a habitation. Like, mm. I'm inhabiting you because the Holy Spirit is in you. And so, therefore, it's, it takes a mind shift. And where I find most Christians are, a lot of Christians are Old Testament, New Testament. They haven't figured it out. And the teaching is all unique. So, it's, it's this amalgamation and to fully walk as a son of the Most High God or a daughter of the Most High God and to fully realize that God can do anything He wants and you have direct access, He wants to do great things with you, in you, then you're partnering because Jesus is in you. Yeah. And that 
that is really, really hard to get your arms around. But when that happened, the priesthood of the believer in Hebrews started to take place in me. I think one of the things that many of us struggle with as Christians is the relationship side. It's all about relationship with the Father instead of performance. That's right. If you were to coach somebody who's kind of in that place of performance and you're trying to get them over to the relationship view of Christ, what types of things would you share with them to help them do that, help them see differently? I think it starts with the mindset, and it's the, it's the mind and heart. And the hard part is there's so much teaching that's fear-based. You almost have to go, you know, you've heard it say this, but I tell you this. So there's a period of time of unlearning. And a lot of Christians have had 20 plus years of learning and sermons in their heads and all of these things. The walking with Jesus is an unlearning. Mm. Uh, Jesus took 12 blokes and he goes, hey, guys, follow me. And then as he was going, it was like, you've heard it say this, but I tell you this. So I need you to, to know it like this, not like that. Yeah. And I think there's an unlearning process when walking and walking with the Holy Spirit. But it's not out of, you idiot, you really thought that. It's almost like it's just very loving. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not like that. It's actually like this. And so seeking first the kingdom, kingdom conversations um, provoke a level of grace and a level of love that's unbelievable. And so things just started to fall off of me. I didn't have to do heavy surgeries. They were just, oh, well, if this, then, then I don't need to worry about that. And so some of the pressures or worries or I got to jump through these hoops. Those things, like an example would be, I started to, and this is language I started to use, I started to call myself up, not out, personally. But years before, Brian, I would be like, God, you did it again. You're such a loser. Oh, Lord, please forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Oh, I'm a sinner. I'm a and I would start to almost like, and Jesus would go, oh, no, Jeremy, don't you remember? I took all of that away. No, 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 you don't understand. It's not like that anymore. I don't view you like that. I view you like this. So then what I started to do was, oh, Jesus, that's not me. That's my old self. That's my flesh. Mm. I don't want that. So would you help me? Holy Spirit, help me deal with this. Let's get rid of this together. I viewed the Holy Spirit as an advocate with me, not God as a judgment towards me. So all of a sudden I realized he's fighting for me. He's praying for me. Interesting, Jesus is an advocate. He's praying for us, but what is the enemy doing? He's coming against us. So the enemy is wanting me to feel, you horrible person. How could you have done that? You are so, so he's constantly instigating this negativity between God and me and creating this narrative that's not right. And most Christians have fallen for that narrative. And where I've started to change was to view him next to me, working on behalf of me for us, because he's in me wanting to do bigger things. So powerful. What kind of has sprung out of your heart now, Jeremy, as I put this in air quotes, a life mission 
now that you've had this dramatic experience, what trajectory has God had you on to bring this forth into the marketplace? It comes out in the form of liberation. So liberating is the words to go, mm-hmm. um, I'm fighting for the highest possible good of, of anyone. So to fight for the highest possible good means that sometimes there's love and support and sometimes there's challenge. So it's the lamb and the lion mm-hmm. that Jesus wasn't just a lamb. And he's not a lion that you need to be afraid of. It's both and. And so if you look at Jesus and so I just, I just read the scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over again. And then Acts. And when I understood those, then I could start to apply some of the other letters. And so if you wanted to study, that's how it play out, it plays out for me there. Then I started using liberation as a lifestyle to go. I'm, I'm looking for what needs to be healed. What needs to be taken out? What needs to be called up or raised up in the life of other people? And then here's the fun part is I just started following Matthew 10, Luke 9 and 10. I started praying for people at peace. Lord, bring me the people you want us to serve. Keep me away from those you don't. And then I'm asking him, what is the healing that you have? What do you, is it healing? Is it casting out? Is it raising up? And it usually reveals itself from the other person because the Holy Spirit is telling me then we're partnering to serve someone. I'm mm-hmm. not helping someone as an act so I can please God. Yeah. Like, oh, I did it. I did visitation. There. <laughs> now it's like, Holy Spirit, who do you want to meet today? Maybe no one? So it, it changes the way you, you act. Instead of saying, I did blank for you today, you just, you just walked in who you were, in authenticity in partnership with Jesus. That's it. And trusting that he's bringing you the people that he wants. You look at Acts 8, it's like Philip was just hanging out and all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to send you to this town. He does the deal. It says, it says um, when the disciples were scattered, Philip goes into a town in Samaria and to proclaim Jesus there. And he said, and with shrieks, the demons came out of many and with loud shouts, many people were healed and there was great joy in the city that day. Awesome. Then immediately, Philip then gets taken by the Spirit to this Ethiopian and talks to this Ethiopian guy. Well, he was just following. He was hanging out. He was partnering with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. There's such a fear of the Holy Spirit that the power, the healing, the casting out and raising up has gotten taken out and has basically neutered Christianity. It's like there's been a hijacking of Jesus and it's become something that it was never, it was almost like this became exactly what we're reading the Pharisees doing. And Jesus is like, guys, no, you've heard it say this, but I tell you this. And the unlearning is happening again. And I believe mm-hmm. that we have an opportunity to show the power of God, not for my benefit, not, it's just the Holy spirit doing his work through us. You know, there's a saying I love that I think applies here. That is, a man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Mm-hmm. You've experienced something beyond this world that whoever argues against it doesn't matter. This is real. That's right. And the, the beauty is, is that like, I don't worry about the arguments uh, because it never wins. It, it always leads to stalemate or anger. And so... For me, it was the power of God that reordered my life. 
in the case of most people who are listening, it would be the power of God doing what we all read about and supposedly celebrate in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As I started to reread those, all of the stories, I realized like somehow all of my teaching I had been hearing had gotten, had taken out the very power moments of God, <laughs> almost like highlighting the things that weren't weird. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to do strange things because that's what a follower of Jesus does because he's showing the power of God, that God can do anything he wants. I just got to experience it firsthand. And I will tell you and everyone listening, I am human. And even in telling the story, it's stirring, it's stirring up faith again because mm. we all drift. Even having those experiences, I still drift. Uh, back into humanness and have to be reminded of it. And then, but what I do for me is I use the shower every morning. When I turn the shower on, that's my reminder to pray for people of peace. Lord, who do you want me to serve today? Who do you want to position me? What do you have for them? Or if I have meetings, I'll go, what's the healing you want for so-and-so? Or is there anything that needs to get you know called up or taken out? And it just, rem it's a reminder to stay that, uh, in that mindset. And there's lots and lots and lots of days and nothing happens at all. And there are some days and weeks where it's like every single day there's something that happens. And I don't understand that. I also tell you this last thing, you know, most of the stories we read in the Bible, these were guys that were only alive for a few years. All of them died except John. And they mm -hmm. died at probably 40. So they were all really young. You know, they were either martyred or they had a, a longer life cycle. Well, my point is in our day and age, we live a lot longer. So we have to run a marathon and it's a mind shift to go, Hey, this is, I've been, a, I've been following Jesus since I was 13 years old. Well, man, that's a long time. If I leave, live until 80 something or 76 or whatever, mm -hmm. that's a long time. And, and so it's a, it's a little different than what we read in scripture. Jeremy, I'm amazed by your story and would love for you to pray for our listeners to finish up here today. I definitely will. Lord, thank you for being our daddy. Father, I pray for the real faith that you want to put in all of us, that you would call us up, that you would show us that you're not calling us out, that uh, you dealt with our sin. Therefore, you brought us into life. And would you show us how you want to partner with us and how you want to live in us and how that works and speak to us, Holy Spirit. I pray for just for a yielding and a humility and a newness and a refreshing season in everyone listening. And again, I pray for the faith to grow and I pray for the faith to grow. Just both of them or just the belief that we, we would actually believe you for who you are that you would do mighty things through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate what you're doing. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.